Before we get started for this week's show, we'd like to thank you all for tuning in with a special shout out to those who support us on Patreon. From just $2 US a month as a patron, you can access extended podcasts and other bonus content. Keep an eye out at EmergingCricket.com in our various social channels and make sure to leave us a five-star rating and if you can, a review wherever you are listening to the show. This week, we discuss emerging plays in various franchise leagues, plus news and action from Europe, PNG, Nepal and the Maldives. Stick around. Hello and welcome again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. I'm Daniel Bezik and with me are the usual suspects. First up in Brisbane, Tim Cutler. Tim, how's things? They are very well, Daniel. Um, you know what I did over the weekend, which is, it's almost, it's worth celebrating. Enjoyed yourself? Went to bed? <laughs> spent, got some free time after all this Emerging Cricket work? What do you mean? That, that's basically free time. I went to the movies. Oh, That's big. I went to a cinema. Are we going to have a movie review? <laughs> How many other people were there? How many other people? No, it was a tiny small cinema, sort of a big plush seats and whatnot, the old Elizabeth Picture Theatre in Brisbane, but I don't know, 10 odd, but it didn't seem like we were necessarily spaced out, but uh, yeah, I saw Tenet, now there's a movie. What's it like, Tim? I'm, I'm very interested. <laughs> um, well, same director and basically everything as Inception, and I'd say... If you're confused with Inception, maybe it's not the movie to see, but if the same layers that Inception did with dreams, it plays around with the direction of time and people and things potentially in it. So I know stunning, stunning visuals. Christopher Nolan, as usual, it's probably more about the visuals rather than the dialogue, including people speaking with masks on and topical being quite muffled. But uh, How topical, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it had nothing to do with that, but um, no, blown away. Amazing what they were able to do on screen. So Ben Stinger, there's today's movie review. and uh, <laughs> But I'm good, Daniel. How, how are you? You beat me to the punch with that Ben Stinger shout out. We do... Uh... I, I know. One of, one of our longest standing patrons and he does the, the calendar and we, we, we make fun, but we really appreciate his support. But uh, Bez, you've been working nights on the CPL. How's that going? Oh, Oh yeah, I've learnt all the lyrics to the CPL theme tune, even the ones that aren't shown in the intro. Um, it's been a bit of an inside joke over in the office over the, the last couple of weeks, just finding uh, ourselves immersed in the Caribbean action. It's been great, and from an associate point of view, and we'll talk about it a little bit later on, just some shining lights. So Sandeep again, Ali Khan again. Uh, Ali Khan pulled up with a with a slight back injury. Hopefully he'll be okay, but it's been good cricket. Um, I think a lot of people just don't quite understand how difficult it is to score when the wickets are that slow in the Caribbean and scores of 130 to 150 are easily winnable totals. So it does help the spinner and, and Sandy has been excellent. And again, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But yeah, it's been really enjoyable. I can't say I've been enjoying the uh, 3 a.m. till 10 a.m. shifts here in Sydney, but uh, there's cricket to watch, so I can't really complain. Another man who's been watching a lot of cricket over the last few weeks with all the emerging cricket back, Copernicus Cricket on Twitter, Nick Skinner. Nick, haven't changed your name on Twitter just yet uh, <laughs> we'll to get reflect, there. We'll get there. you know, you more well known as Nick now from being on the podcast and doing all this emerging cricket work. How how are you? How was your trip to the Blue Mountains? And you do look refreshed as I look at you in the uh, Zoom chat. Of course, no one else can see that, but you look refreshed <laughs> and ready to go again. Yeah. Imagine John the Baptist uh, about uh, 2000 years later and you, you've more or less got it. Yeah, especially with the uh, the soft lighting, so it's some some nice chiaroscuro, a bit of a uh, classical painting vibe. Anyway, um, I'm I'm well. Yeah, it was a fantastic trip, really beautiful. 
up at Wentworth Falls. Uh, some did some low level bushwalking, but mainly just had a, a nice time away with my wife. So yeah, lovely. Great to hear. Uh, I know she's in the background listening, isn't she? Yeah, <laughs> she sure is. <laughs> Hi, Brooklyn. <laughs> Bushwalking's great until you get lost and there's no reception and you don't know how to get out. But luckily, you know, the trails are that good here that, um, and the maps are good enough that you generally don't find yourselves in trouble. Uh, but glad to see you back in your Narara home, Nick, enjoying uh, recording another podcast. We'll get to Europe and Belgium dominating the Luxembourg T20 trophy uh, held at the Pierre Werner Cricket Ground in Wolfendunga. An enjoyable tournament on the synthetic there. Belgium dominating. Corey Rutgers, of course, who VOC champion uh, of the ECL last year, living in the Netherlands, coaching Belgium. He's done really well with the project there. And Nick, I'll start with you. It's a massive rankings jump for Belgium, up 17 places. Uh, really important when, when talking about these teams and, and the rankings for T20 international cricket for the future. Um, we saw Shahir Yabat pongoing everything around um, for the Belgian national team. A couple other names I'll mention in a moment, but for Belgium, a, a really strong tournament and just shows that they're dominant, at least in that geographical region. Yeah, it's interesting. They came into the tournament a bit behind both uh, Luxembourg and the Czech Republic on the rankings, which um, I know we've we've talked a bit about how the rankings uh, have a lot of flaws, especially in T20 and, and especially with small sample sizes. But, you know, the fact that Belgium jumped 17 places um, on the back of this and the fact that they were ranked behind two teams that are, by all accounts, not as strong, um, again, just highlights that I think probably the ICC needs to look at the formula that they use for the rankings because I just don't think it's it's giving accurate results. And, you know, you say it's important and, and it is because, you know, once you get up to um, around that sort of 30, mid-30s region in the rankings, then you're in contention to, to break into the 50-over leagues, which, again, getting into the 50-over leagues based on T20 rankings is questionable to start with. But the, the fact that the rankings are so... I mean, I think they're broken, honestly. That is a, a real problem in, in terms of qualification. Um, looking at this tournament, yeah, it was, it was a really fun tournament, as you say, on, on the Syntho. So, um, ball carrying through very nicely. Um, I, I liked that the ground's named after Pierre Werner, who's a, a former Luxembourg prime minister, and he, he fell in love with cricket. Uh, he spent some time in England in the 1930s, I think, and, and he uh, became a cricket fan and was uh, the honorary president of uh, the Optimist Cricket Club in Luxembourg. So that's a nice little connection. But yeah, ridiculous numbers for Shahira, but uh, I think he scored about 250 runs, uh, which was more than anyone else combined, really. Uh, Joost Mace was okay for Luxembourg. Honey Gori's back. Um, Sadesh Wikram, a singer, you know, so a lot of these, uh, names that we've seen before have, have come to the fore, but yeah, Belgium too good. Yeah. Great to see a, a simple one camera stream or two camera stream with the, uh, the second camera, uh, going back to the scoreboard or, and then it was fixed on the scoreboard. It was great to have sort of classic a view of an older score there, but, um, Really informative commentary, varied voices from across the Luxembourg cricket sphere. It just shows how simple it is these days to get that up and running and, and port it to the Luxembourg Cricket Federation, who, you know, Seanak Sarko has done a profile and a, and a story uh, on them as well. So if you want to learn more about them, jump on the Merging Cricket website. But uh, yeah, it was enjoyable with three games in a row on, on the Saturday. And I'm guessing Belgium turned up a day later because they played all their games in a, in a row, but yeah, to, to, got to score 208 runs off 
what was it, 95 rocks, not to lose your wicket across two T20 internationals. It was a pretty good day. But uh, whilst that was great and something to be celebrated, what wasn't was some of the reactions to the tweet. What did that tweet say, Nick? Let's be realistic. Good that cricket is spreading wide and far. He did not make runs against Dale Steyn, rather some amateur cricket enthusiasts. And I know we've talked about being better at not biting on on the interwebs, but unfortunately, that, uh, the hook was just swaying right in front of me, and I bit and I, and I bit hard to say, you know, that millions must be millions of runs have been scored in, across Tests and first class cricket by by amateur cricketers who are cricket enthusiasts, you know, not against Dale Stain, and you know those runs throughout the history of cricketers that they've grown in countries didn't deserve to be belittled and, and nor does Shah Butt's innings for Belgium in, in Luxembourg. So I, I don't know. I just don't get it. Again, like someone with a Twitter account, look at me or, or calling out, oh, geez, look at all these Belgians. Yeah, they're all insert country here where they think they've come from us. What, what, what are you getting out of this? Please. Tell, anyway, I know we, we do. Sorry, everyone. I know we do this every week, <laughs> but you, 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 you've come with us this far. And I, I, I just, the thing I just can't get over is the idea that no other sport has this idea of of status and stats gatekeeping. Only cricket does this. You look around at every other sport and you'll have, I don't know, top international goal scorers in football, in hockey, in ice hockey, no matter what, top you know home run hitters in Major League Baseball. There's no asterisks against people's names because they did something against a team of poor perceived quality. I've never really understood the idea of of having tiers of of status and yeah if you're smart enough and you know i think i can talk about this as someone who works in statistics for a living and gets paid week to week by an employer who wants me to input data my thinking is if you can't differentiate between 100 a score of 100 made by someone versus another 100 scored by someone else then you're obviously relying too much on the data and you're not looking at things on the outside. It makes no sense. It's infuriating. I've written about it. We've shared that story 50,000 times. And I really just hope, you know, the, the classic situation, if I get one person to change their perception on this, then I've done a good job, right? Yeah. It makes you wonder, some, are we wasting our energy for people that are just there to, to be trolls anyway? But uh I don't know. People listening to this, you can tweet us and say, should we bother biting on these or should we be putting our energy elsewhere? But uh, maybe to doing a movie review podcast. But, uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, well, the thing that gets me about it is that I, you look at other sports, as you say, Bez, and not just the stats thing, just the, the fact that whenever the ICC shares any story about basically associate cricket, there's always some someone coming on saying, oh, well, it's not real cricket or oh, it's not Dale Stain. Well, like... No one, no one worries about that in, say, in football. In you know, let's say the African Cup of Nations, and oh well, it's just Togo or or the Seychelles or whatever. It, it's still football, and, and people respect it for that. And and it's just normal that these countries play each other, and and it should be the same in cricket. And that's, I guess, the the reason we have emerging cricket really is is to normalise the fact that other countries outside the the top ten or top twelve or, or whatever of of test nations actually do play cricket and, and that's just a normal thing is that Belgium and Luxembourg and the Czech Republic play cricket against each other and, and why wouldn't they, right? And it's, it's just like they don't have to be test countries for it to just be countries playing cricket. It, it's just baffling that cricket does this and cricket fans seem to have this, I don't know, this this, this obsession with pulling down other teams when, when why? Why? How is it bothering you that Belgium is playing against Luxembourg? I don't get it. 
Well, I'll finish with the point that it doesn't look like cricket can win because last week uh, a certain DG Bradman celebrated a birthday and people were criticising his stats and his <laughs> stats are the best in the game. Well, there's your answer, isn't it? <laughs> the guy averaged 99.94 on uncovered wickets with toothpicks for bats, slow outfields, boundaries all the way to the fence and people still turned around and said well no he never did it in india he never he only did it in england and australia you can't say that these stats are legitimate well england in that period must have been the most difficult place to bat on i reckon bradman would have averaged 150 if he got to play in india but that's just my opinion anyway well there's a pretty good case that bradman was statistically the greatest sports player ever yeah, if you look at standard deviation and stuff like that, he sets himself apart better than anyone in any other sport. There's there's other instances where there's been squash players. I think it's Sarah Fitzgerald and Jahangir Khan didn't lose a match in almost a decade in competitive play, which is outstanding in its own right. Wayne Gretzky's got his own ridiculous records in his sport and Don Bradman sits there with, with the best of them. If you can't appreciate what he did in cricket well, I don't really think you see the positivity in life. Um, but yeah, that's just my opinion and it's worth no more than someone else's. Anyway, as we said before, Belgium up 17 places on the T20 international rankings, which does bear huge ramifications come uh, when the Challenge League does come around again in its next cycle, as Nick, you pointed out quite rightly. Next to Papua New Guinea, and we've seen plenty of action over there uh, the men's team trying to keep busy without any international cricket going on with the three-team Azuzu National Cup with the national talent spread around there. We've also seen the women finish up their T20 competition and it was the Hino Cassowaries winning that competition, Nick. And you made a couple of points here in our uh, meeting before we went on air. A few familiar names uh, standing up for the Cassowaries in a, in a winning side. Yeah, um, I think it, it was an interesting tournament. Uh, I think PNG is one of the better countries in terms of finding uh, domestic sponsors, so that was good. You know, you mentioned Isuzu doing the men's and Curtin Brothers, a civil engineering and construction company, is uh, sponsoring the, the women's tournament. So, you know, the fact that they're finding private sponsorship for their domestic women's competition is, is pretty encouraging. Um, I think we might all remember Konya Owala hitting some big sixes at the women's mm. uh, qualifier last year and she did, did the same thing again, lifted the cassowaries from, um, they, they were in a bit of trouble and she lifted them up to a defensible total of, I think it was 115. Uh, Kaya Arua, the national women's captain who took them through the sub-regional qualifying rounds, uh, chipped in with that and ball as well. And, and Pauke Siaka, who's a, a name that some might remember from uh, my profile on six amazing women's matches where she took six for 19 against uh, Scotland. Um, she grabbed some wickets for the mud women. But uh, yes, uh, also quite interesting names. And, you know, nice that it's not just the usual uh, smashes and kings and whatnot. We've got the cassowaries and, and mud women. So a good local flavor as well. Yeah, moving to the men's side, the, the mud men, uh, one of the four teams there, well, the same four teams that, that play in the women's competition, the Mudman, Mariners, Cassowaries, and the Black Bass. And looking at the, the teams that will compete there, the national players are very much spread across those uh, four sides. One of the players, of course, who isn't there at the moment is Chad Sober, who is based in, in Australia on the on the Central Coast. So he won't be uh, traveling to PNG anytime soon, I imagine, with, with everything going on. But outside of that, uh, you've got plenty of talent across the board uh, not putting anyone on the spot there, but I'm sure there are teams that will be backing there based on the international talent. But 
Yeah, Nick, you, you make a really good point. Um, because the, the, the teams, the national teams in Papua New Guinea are, are strong and cricket's place in PNG is quite prominent, um, they are able to, to go out and acquire sponsors to secure sponsorships. And look, these guys in, in, in Papua New Guinea sporting circles are, are seen quite highly. We know that rugby league's big in that part of the world as well. But as in terms of a summer sport, Tim, you look at cricket significance in PNG and talking to Norman Vanua a few weeks ago in our in our interview with him, you can definitely see the, the development in Papua New Guinea, its exposure and ultimately future generations of Papua New Guinea talent will come through. Yeah, I think it's a common theme. We talk about the game's growth there and the support they've seen. A little bit different to the the way that its national sport, Rugby League, has developed, but a lot more family-focused. You know, that's PNG's top line of its strategy to be PNG's favourite family sport. And I think that's really reflected in the the policies and the programs that they have. And with the help of the likes of Australian government and cricket bodies of Australia and New Zealand, ICC, that are building... 50 grounds in and around including the highland areas to get more and more people playing the game and with the highest participation program of anywhere around the world with over 200,000 people going through their programs annually there's a great base there I think the only thing that we look forward to is seeing how they can translate those numbers into a great performance pathway pipeline lots of p's there coming out and hopefully you know, one of the next full members um, will be Papua New Guinea with all this talent and to see them perform on the world stage. Plenty of P's, but no plosives there from you, Timothy. That's some quality sound recording work and people probably don't appreciate how hard that is, but <laughs> the P sound, the P sound while recording is so hard to get right. Did I do that well, did I? I was more worried about all the P's coming. I was like, <laughs> oh, this, this sounds like I planned it. It's like uh, consistent contextual cricket when we talk about the uh, Cricket World Cup leagues. Great to get some action in, in PNG. And another shout out to Asad Vala. We did mention it on the podcast last week, but took a hat trick in, in the Azuzu National Cup. Uh, they'll be playing in the World Cup next year in India. Unfortunately, not in Australia. We can't see them on our shores, but I'm sure they're just as keen to partake in a World Cup in India. Let's move to some of the T20 franchise leagues going on around the world involving associate member associate member players as well as players from Ireland and Afghanistan. The Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy uh, in England with the new franchises set up there or the new team format. Uh, we've got the T20 Blast in England as well as the Caribbean Premier League. We'll start in the Caribbean and Sandeep going from strength to strength once again. Last time we recorded, Nick, he had an economy of just over five and had taken enough wickets um, to warrant his name being picked first on the team sheet for the Jamaica Talawas. He's since had his economy drop to under five. We didn't think it would go any lower. It somehow did. As I said, one of the first names on the team list, he almost went three matches without conceding a boundary. It has been a bittersweet tournament from an associate perspective, though. We've seen Ali Khan uh, injured with a slight back injury. Saad bin Safar had been dropped after one, I suppose, one over. Nick, you mentioned just before we went on air, one bad over it took for him to be dropped. Um, and we'll start with the CPL. It's just great news for, for Nepal fans and Sandeep seeing him in the thick of it and taking wickets on spin-friendly wickets. Um, it must be acknowledged, but he's still doing an outstanding job for Jamaica. Yeah, you, you spin-friendly for sure. You know, you look at the best economy rates and, and the highest wicket-takers, there's a lot of spinners in those lists. Uh, you know, Majib Rahman, incredible really. And and you're going, you've got your Narines, Roston Chase, Muhammad Nabi, Lamachain, Ned, Santna, Nurse, etc., etc., etc. So, spin-friendly tracks. Um, I think 
as you said, Saad bin Zafar is uh, he'd be pretty stiff to be missing out. You know, <laughs> he got smashed for twenty one in in one over, and he hasn't been heard from since. Which I mean, especially since the previous game, he he went for none for ten off two overs. So I don't know. Yeah, I guess just the associates have a have a shorter reign. But you know, you look at how successful spin and and especially left arm spin has been so far on on these tracks. You just think, why, why are you not getting as many spinners as possible into your team? It, it just doesn't really make sense to me. Well, you're always going to be silly not having as many left-arm spinners in your team as possible, but that's that's <laughs> that's beside the point. I've actually really enjoyed the, my time watching it because it's not just your usual bowl, flat, track, bully, kind of slam everywhere. There's been a little bit more craft to it. And to see the bowlers that have, have shown it, as you've mentioned you know, a real class coming through. It's not just anybody who's rolling their arm over that are taking wickets. You know, it doesn't mean, you know, if you can run your, your finger over the scene, then all of a sudden you, you, you're going through teams. Like there are still runs being scored, but you've got to actually use your head. And I and I think, you know, it's not going to be the, the CPL that we've, we've been used to, but, you know, it's going to be the team that really holds back and plays the spinners as best as possible that are, are going to win. So I think that's why... Oh, I feel for, for Ali Khan injuring his back when he was so he was one of the, the better quick bowlers uh, hooping it at the, at the start and bowling Yorkers at the end. But yeah, Saad bin Safai, you've got to think that the, the, the rope must just be that little bit shorter for for someone not, not quite as well known um, because you've got to slide him in. And the fact is he can bat as well. Mm. You know, he was top scorer in the, the global T20 final and that was coming up against full members as well. So... Why not even think about throwing him up the top of the order and think of his overs almost as as bonus? So yeah, but like I said, in, enjoying it on some uh, some tricky wickets. A final point I'll make about Sandeep too, and it's probably an indication of how well he's going. But I'm sure when he was first on the on the T Twenty franchise merry go round, not a lot of players knew how to play him because they quite frankly had never seen him before. And sometimes it can actually be a little bit easier coming onto the scene and. And being the unknown, now I'm sure that he's being watched by data analysts and, and players in team meetings and everyone feels like they're able to play him better. But he's still managing to adapt and take wickets. And a lot of the matchups that teams have actually attempted is to, to get him against a left-handed batsman. But he's actually developed his wrong into a point where it looks as natural as his leg break. And while the wrong end is wicket-taking delivery for the right-hander coming back in towards the stumps, it's so effective and it's so important for him to have that delivery against the left-hander spinning the ball away from them because, you know, they all want it into their, into their spun into their pads and they can sweep away. I did think that a few players might go and look towards playing him on the sweep a little bit more, but I don't think he's really allowed them to do that yet. He's bowled either a little bit quicker or a little bit shorter and players haven't been able to get on the knee and, and hit him over square legs. So I think Nepalis should be immensely proud of the of the progress that Sandeep is making. His figures might look the same over the course of his two years in the T20 franchise game, but he's now doing it with everyone knowing how he bowls now, which I, I think is, is a good indication of just how well he's going and how important he'll be in, in the future for Nepal. Looking at some of the other leagues, um, the Rachel Hayhoe Flint trophy has been dominated by some Scots. The Bryce sisters, Catherine and Sarah, both scoring uh, a bulk of the runs for the Lightning franchise. Unfortunately, have, they haven't gone on to win a game yet. It seems as if they're the, the two best players in the team. But it has been great to see 
um, those two flourishing, Nick, and it's a new tournament there, a new competition in England, and these two Scots have been able to, to take the opportunity you know, by the scruff of the neck and they're dominating proceedings. Yeah, I mean, Catherine would be feeling... Oh geez, she she took five for twenty nine and then seventy one not out, um, and and somehow they still managed to lose because once she got out, the rest of her team were were all in single figures. Um, so yeah, very much let down by the non Scottish players in the Lightning. Um, I think the 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 Rachel Hayo Flint Trophy is uh, quite interesting in that it, I'm not sure if they're going to go forward with it or if it's a, a bit of a placeholder in the same way as the um the the Bruce. W- Bruce, almost said Bruce Willis trophy there. Um, that'd that'd be interesting. Um, <laughs> they should just name it. He that. was. A, he. I'm sure he was a good cricketer too, Nicholas. <laughs> yeah, Bruce Willis trophy. The Bruce Willis trophy. Um, the... <laughs> Please leave this in. <laughs> no, the the Bob Willis trophy. Um, and yeah, in in terms of it being sort of something that they're, they're just going to have for one season, or I'm not, not quite sure what's going on with that. But yeah, I, I think it is quite strange that England keep going away from their traditional county teams, which have such a, a strong following already, to, to having these sort of vaguely regional franchise things. But, you know, all in all, it's it's a good opportunity for the women in the country. And the fact that the, the Scots are able to get into it is great as well. And, I mean, <laughs> hopefully... The uh, the English selectors won't come knocking, and, and Scotland can still retain the services of the Bryce sisters because they're they're something special. So I'm guessing that the the women don't have the same issues as the men having county cricket with having to say they're not available for their country anymore to play county cricket as a, as, a, as a local as as a Brit, or are they counted as overseas in this league? Same same as George Muncie is Muncie actually in an overseas at the moment in the blast I'm not sure about Munzee in terms of the Scottish players um, in in playing county cricket because a lot of them uh, would technically be eligible to play for England they can play as locals the, the stuff around the county cricket is basically incentivizing people who are England eligible and a, a lot of the the Scots are technically that. Um, I'm not sure of the situation in the women's side of things. I don't know if the rules are the same or different, um, but you would hope that uh, they would make things easier for women players because the women's game, you know, everywhere is is at a much earlier stage of development. So you'd hope that they're trying to, um, you know, grow it all all across the board. Yeah, I'm always worried when yeah the Scots play a little bit too well, and then all of a sudden there's. <laughs> There's there's attention national attention and we know that the Scots broke away from from England um, the ECB uh, well a generation and more ago now but I'm sure you know there are, there are several players there and because they don't they're not classes overseas players it makes it easier and that's ultimately a big plus for count uh, for for county cricket and, and and Scottish players playing in county cricket and for the emerging game but yeah you, you do kind of wonder where where things are going to go um, when when players start to, to go really well, like Ali Khan has been um, over the last you know couple of years, and seeing where Pakistan have got their players from, you know Harris Ralph was was plucked out of Tasmanian grade cricket when they needed another overseas, the Melbourne Stars, so they they signed Harris Ralph, and within weeks he was picked to play for for Pakistan internationally. It shows you know just how with lack of a better term, easy the meteorite rise can be um, to, to go from 
relative obscurity to to a national team in in terms of cricket, especially in places where things aren't as regimented in in how scouting and how domestic structures are, are set out. But yeah, for Scotland, it's only a plus at the moment that, that the Bryce sisters are, are getting quite a lot of game time and obviously flourishing with that game time. Hopefully, the the Lightning team can uh, go on and uh, win a few more games. Um, as for the T20 Blast, we've seen Gareth Delaney um, of Ireland playing for Leicestershire and coming out with a bang. Uh, really good knock of 68 in his first innings there. Looking classy with the bat. We knew he had the talent. Um, as we said last week, a lot of leverage in the way he swings, swings the bat. The strike rate is always going to be high. Top of the order, bowls leg spin. And we also saw George Munsey show his true colours, albeit in a, in a shorter innings and a shorter state at the crease. But it's good to see these guys, you know, playing it at this level in, in county cricket and, and just still showing the same signs that they showed in international in the international ranks as well, Nick. Um, we knew that Delaney was strong with those English, this English-Irish one-day matches, those one-day internationals where he came out and, and swung the bat hard. But he's come into county cricket and he's, he's looked pretty comfortable in a new setting with new colours on and uh, new conditions in a, in a different format, a different competition. It seems as if he's just hit the ground running. Yeah, he's been a really exciting talent for Ireland uh, for the last sort of 12, 18 months uh, as one to keep an eye on. And it seems like he's starting to come into his own with some you know, some good performances for Ireland and, and indeed uh, at, at domestic level. So exciting to see where he goes. And, and I think he's only going to go um, go better and better as he develops a bit more maturity. And, you know, he's, he's still young, which for a spinner means um, he's only going to go up. Well, yeah, we we're just talking about side bin so far, not getting a, a go up the order, but uh, good to see Delaney. And I, I enjoy, he's got strange levers, hasn't he? But he just seems to come through at the right time. And um, though I, I don't want to, I don't want to be your matey matey commentator talking about all those levers, those levers, but <laughs> long levers, <laughs> those Western Australian levers. But it just uh, his height, and he just seems to really use his his height and uh, the length of his arms <laughs> to best. See, it doesn't sound right. You got to say levers <laughs> to. to a good effect and the way he's able to time the ball behind point a little bit Nazakat Karnish in mm. that he plays it to areas that the fielders might not necessarily be because you you're not generally going to have those guys behind square on the on the offside on the on the fence and and hopefully you know a few more chances here you never know what might open up for him in uh, in other global T20 events as they start again and who knows and, and how well he could go in the T20 slam if and when it runs yeah, just just a bit of a flashback. It reminds me a bit of a, a right-handed sort of almost Jaisaria like way. He just sort of scythes it across that uh, point backward point sort of third man area and, and really hacks at it over the over the infield. Um, I don't know. That that's just a bit of a vibe I get. Yep. No, that's a better better one than Nazakit. No, you're right. The way that he's able to somehow get that ball behind point, but uh, a lot more upright. Yeah. So it was it was good to watch. And uh, as it always goes, I don't believe in any of it whatsoever. But as soon as I turned on the stream to watching bat, he got out about I don't know <laughs> eighteen seconds later. So uh, it always happens. So Gareth, I'm sorry. <laughs> To news from the Maldives, what a lovely part of the world that is. And in cooperation with the Indian government, uh, an announcement that the Indian government are providing assistance to the government of the Maldives to construct a state-of-the-art cricket stadium in Hulhulmale, which is one of the islands in the capital city of the Maldives, Mali. Uh, The Central Park project is being carried out by the Maldives Housing Development with the assistance of a 6.9 million US dollar grant by the Indian government. Uh, We're not sure when this will be completed, but 
it does boost the game in the Maldives. I remember while I was over there, Star Sports was, was shown on all the channels around in different parts. So there's plenty of, of cricket on the TV, plenty of exposure. And we know just how important that is in, in terms of building the game. The Maldives is a very interesting place. There's so many different islands, very remote, uh, different communities um, spat out everywhere across the Indian Ocean. So not too sure what the development of the game is like in the Maldives. But, but Tim, looking at this particular news story and seeing uh, the potential that this can bring, not only the stadium, but the training facilities that will come with it near the mainland or around you know, the, the, the central business area of the Maldives, it shows that there is ambition there and we could well see you know, some really positive signs over the next few years in terms of developing the game in the Maldives and building all that popularity and bringing it to one place. Yeah, a very, uh, very ambitious administration there. I think they've been looking at some some ideas over the years around franchise events and 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 whatnot, um, trying to get the game growing. A tough and a nation of islands like the, the the Maldives and the situation they've had with with weather and the effect of climate change coming, but good to see some positive effects of a bit of soft power of the uh, of the funding of some infrastructure and and whatnot, and being part of a, a new town development as well, similar to some of the plans we saw in the the US that. Uh, never went ahead, but um, actually sort of almost building a town around a cricket ground. So there's no better way of embedding it into a community of having it there smack bang in the middle. I'm not quite sure what level of facilities we're going to have. Um, they talked talked about state of the art and with portable pitches. And if, if they're talking portable, I'm, I'm guessing that means drop-in wickets. Well, maybe there's another potential here of, of the hybrid wickets that they've got in, in Vanuatu. Who knows? But look, any news like this is great news to see new facilities in an emerging nation. Well, I mean, building a town around a cricket ground, uh, that sounds like my kind of place. Um, <laughs> if, in terms of the, the, the funding model and, and the Indian government stuff, it, it's, it is quite interesting because they have been funding quite a lot of cricket facilities in the region. You know, we've seen them uh, build uh, quite a few things in, in Afghanistan and... Um, you know, it, it is part of the current administration's uh, sort of diplomatic strategy is um, uh, stadium diplomacy and cricket diplomacy especially. And, and, and it's it's interesting how it plays into the regional politics. And obviously, we don't want to get too much into the extremely complex situation with China and Pakistan, those three countries. But, you know, the, the fact that um, India and Pakistan both have cricket diplomacy policies um, could be an interesting way of getting China into into cricket, and and we you know we've seen China in the past has uh, spent money on on cricket facilities in in various countries where they are trying to, um, to 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 build soft power, as you said, Tim. So I think yeah, obviously the Olympics is the big one for China, but but you know if India and Pakistan are both um, you know their regional neighbours pushing cricket, I think that's another sort of. Uh, possibility that they you know the game could have in terms of getting a bit more adoption in, in China let's not forget the amount of Chinese money that is in global cricket and we all probably know now due to the IPL sponsorship news that Vivo and Oppo are both owned by the same entity and 100% Chinese owned um, and higher as well H-A-I-E-R another electronics conglomerate another Chinese entity with sponsorships they're, they're, they're aligned uh, with with 
uh, factories and sponsorship in in Pakistan of cricket teams as well. In fact, um, the owner of one of the PSL franchises is is, is a main uh, a main man there in Pakistan, and, and also the uh, the brother of Shahid Afridi, um, which is is handy. So look, there's there's a huge Chinese influence you could say in the background in cricket already and and you may say well that their commercial deals to try and get to those markets but you've got to look in reverse and see is there a potential to get the chinese into cricket through this um by saying well you're already supporting cricket so much this is the way of of, of really uh, making those relationships stronger with these nations and and growing your network and also growing your your image ac- across the world if you're sponsoring cricket but also playing it and you only have to look as far as the women's team team of china uh, and the p- development path they were on which seems to have taken a bit of a, a bit of a bump in the road there i'm not entirely sure what's happened because i know there's quite a lot of investment into the game there but they you know look to the countries near them and only as far as thailand to see the success that they've seen on, on the field and it doesn't take you know let's say it doesn't take a lot to get a, a, a good quality program together and getting that the right people coming through with the right programs and just you know as other countries have said that they're using thailand as the example i think china could uh, could go a lot worse than than doing exactly the same. And in some parallel universe where cricket is an Olympic sport, I don't need to tell anyone how keen China would be in in picking up some some gold medals and winning some some points in uh whatever Cold War we're in right now because it would be it'd be outstanding to see China dominate um, our sport well, well to a degree. Speaking of the Olympics, I know that uh, we wrote about Brazil a couple of weeks ago to say that they would be guaranteed half a million euro uh, if cricket became an Olympic sport, and that wouldn't be dependent on the structure or the Brazil teams being anywhere near it. Italy, how much do you reckon they would get as soon as the game becomes an Olympic sport? And I'm not going to make you guess. Between one and two million US dollars per year guaranteed as long as cricket is is an Olympic sport. Mm. Yeah, that's... Uh, probably a factor of 10 above what they're currently getting from the ICC at a, at a ballpark guess. But I think it just goes to show, right, how, how important Olympic participation would be once again. And, and this is a thing, you know, it's, it's kind of mind boggling that, you know, the ICC board hasn't embraced this as, as fully as they might, because in a way it's, it's getting the Olympic movement to fund their own game. cricket yeah. on the cheap for the ICC. You know, this is, this is money coming from, not from ICC broadcast deals. This is coming from governments and, and other sources. So it's it's would potentially save the ICC money if they wanted to go down that path of uh, to to get it into the Olympics. Yeah, it's between three and six times what Italy currently receive from the ICC. Well, uh, my maths maths was never my strong point, Tim. So, it's <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'll just make a final point that. Yeah, Nick, I, I think you raised a really important idea there is, you know, essentially the game could be funded outside of the ICC's, out of the ICC's pockets and, and you could basically run this game with other people doing the ICC's job for them, um, which is something that I've never really understood why they haven't embraced. And, you know, any country of, of any success and any ilk in the sport of cricket would love to win an Olympic gold medal and India and Australia and England and a lot of the four members and even the associate members would definitely consider themselves a chance at winning a, an Olympic medal. So, yeah, we, we struggle to see the downsides here. And, and perhaps down the road, we, we do see a change in the thinking in regards to all of that. But 
yeah, we'll 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 see, we'll see, and we'll we'll talk about it if that news ever comes in. Yeah, look, I don't think it's a matter of doing the job of the ICC. I think it's really something that can be hand in hand. Yeah. The Olympic inclusion brings government support. I don't think it's sort of thinking, well, the Olympics are supporting the sport. It's the governments that, at the moment, in a lot of these countries, cricket is not even seen as a sport, or it's barely on the on the periphery. Italy's a great example, and Germany. Yeah, you know, there's another one who'd see millions of dollars uh, on on top, but it brings them into the Olympic Federation and the support that 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 brings, and that hand in hand with ICC's global events and the global development team. You know, that, that's how you grow a, a sport that like cricket into a global game. So, yeah. I'd, and you know what? We've, we would have a, there's a very good person to ask about that who's the, the head of global development, Will Glenwright, and we've got him on the podcast in, uh, in about two weeks' time. So I think that there'll be some good questions there around the Olympics to, to bring up with Will. Um, and I think he's got a great perspective on things as well, having worked in world rugby um, looking after the Oceania region before moving into cricket, I think his perspective will be very interesting, both from the way that you advocate for change from within that development team, but also the perspective of cricket and the Olympics and to get an update on that. And in the meantime, you can go back and listen to our interview with Matt Featherston, who, who talks about this topic at length. And, you know, it makes me think of... Um you, you talked about how the sport's on the periphery and he, he told the story of how, you know, whenever he gives a presentation and, and people start thinking, oh yeah, this cricket, not, not too bad. And then they are, the first question they ask is, is it in the Olympics? And, and he has to say, oh, well, no, sorry. And, and then it sort of dies out. And, and just that obstacle is true in a lot of countries. And being able to say yes to that question would open a lot more doors, even, you know, obviously if Brazil or whoever weren't anywhere near Olympic qualification, just the fact that it is an Olympic sport legitimizes it in the eyes of, of quite a few uh, governments. Impotent, slow-witted, depressed, wow, never fear. If you feel that way, think about the fact that Tim Cutler hosts the Emerging Cricket Podcast. That will make you feel better about everything. I'm Jared Kimber, and I fully support this message. To news around the emerging world, and first in Kenya where the Simba Premier League has been postponed, Due to strict government protocol and logistical challenges faced to bring in foreign players, the tournament was scheduled to start on September 10. To the Netherlands and the top class has concluded. For more, here's Rod Lyle. The official Dutch season comes to an end this Saturday with the T20 Cup finals day. We'll look at that in a moment. But first, congratulations to HCC, who made sure of the unofficial top classer title by beating Punjab Rotterdam in the penultimate round of matches. Frustratingly, rain interfered with the last three rounds, but even a DLS-influenced defeat at the hands of VOC Rotterdam on the final Sunday didn't take the gloss off HCC's achievement. They and Punjab were far and away the best sides in the competition, and Hida Overdyke's 49-ball, 83-not-out to set up the win over Punjab was a memorable way for HCC to seal their title. The match had been reduced to 35 overs a side, and HCC's 244 for six proved beyond the reach even of Punjab's powerful lineup. The weather had a big role in all three of HCC's final matches. They tied with Excelsior 20 Schiedam when rain ended the match with the scores level on the DLS count. Then their decider with Punjab was cut to 35 overs, and in their last game an unbroken stand of 110 between Tim de Kock and Yelta Schoenheim which took VOC from 31 for 4 to 141 for 4, 
left HCC needing to score 167 at 8 and over to preserve their unbeaten record. Unsurprisingly, that was beyond them. Punjab held on to second place thanks to a six-wicket win over VRA Amsterdam on the last day, despite Eric Schwarzinski and Ben Cooper having shared an opening stand of 178. Cooper was dismissed for 99, but although Schwarzinski battered through for 120 not out, VRA were unable to set a target that was beyond Punjab's batters, even though Steph Myberg was unable to bat because of an ankle injury. He still finished the season with 524 runs at an average of 131, while his skipper, Suleiman Tariq, was the leading wicket-taker with 19 at 19.26. Just behind him were the HCC pairing of Olivier Klaus with 18 at 9.11 and Hida Overdijk with 17 at 12.71. Neither HCC nor Punjab is involved in Saturday's T20 finals day and neither are cup holders VOC, who were edged out of the quarterfinals in a highly competitive Rheinmont group. But the semi-finals look pretty enticing, with VRA meeting HBS in the first, and then hosts Forberg taking on last year's finalists, HBS. A lot of interest will centre on Sparta's Lennart van Weyck, who has the remarkable tally of 482 runs from six innings, including three centuries. And with Madasa Bukhari and Ali Raza also in their lineup, Sparta might just start as favourites, especially with Tobias Fizet of HBS out with a hand injury. It promises to be a great day's cricket, and the KNCB will be streaming it all via their website. And finally to Nepal, where 11 jobs have been posted by the national governing body this week. Applications are now open for national team head coach, coaches of each of the seven provinces, general manager, cricket manager and chief financial officer. Jagat Tamata currently holds the national head coach role on an interim basis after the resignation of Umesh Patwal in February. For more news, make sure to log on to EmergingCricket.com. That's everything in the Emerging Game this week. Make sure to subscribe to the Emerging Cricket Podcast if you haven't done so already so you can tune in as soon as it drops every week. Pass the pot around and make sure to give us a five-star review. If you want to support us financially, go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Emerging Cricket where you can support us from as little as $2 US a month. You'll get access to extended cuts of a number of our shows and you can have a say on the show's direction. For now, on behalf of Nick Skinner, Tim Cutler and myself, Daniel Beswick, see you next week.